podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN in association with Betfred. Good to have you with us, gang. Greg Brady back in the house. Always a pleasure catching up with him and plenty to be getting into. We're going to look at the playoff picture in the AFC, in the NFC, talk through the big results from week 15 and try and work out what they mean for the rest of the season, the postseason and the race for the Super Bowl. So let's get straight down to business and welcome the brilliant Greg Brady. Greg, good to see you, man. The Jets have pulled off the most Jets thing imaginable, of course, with their win and credit to them for a win in a game that they were 17-point dogs. They get the first win of the season, but that's now put them in second spot in the pecking order in the draft. I mean, the Jags have the tiebreakers, so if both teams lose out, they might have just blown their shot at Trevor Lawrence. It is, I mean, if I were Jets fans right now must be spinning around in circles thinking, why are you doing this to us? And how are Jacksonville fans feeling uh, euphoric that they're, right? you know, My they've God. done all the right things. They've had three different starting quarterbacks this year, all really young guys. They haven't, you know, pushed it out and, and started a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, old, old fogies who were, you know, on their last legs who were holding a clipboard for two or three years before. But, yeah, I was shocked by what I saw. And, and I'm not sure that the Rams played that horrible. They didn't, you know, it, it wasn't a, a trademark Rams game. They couldn't get a ton going. Uh, with Cam Akers on the ground. Um, but I thought about it too with Sam Darnold. And I'm like, Darnold's almost, if he wants out of, of New York, if he wants out and, and wants to be somewhere else besides the Jets quarterback, and we know, I know we'll talk about Carson Wentz in a bit and talk about quarterbacks that do want out of their city, so it appears. Um, that, but Sam Darnold played well enough yesterday and, mm-hmm. and excellent enough to almost make it more difficult for the Jets to move on from him. Um, Because, yeah, Trevor Lawrence seems to be the only, you know, guaranteed uh, guy moving forward that is going to revolutionize your franchise and push you out of a job if you're the starting quarterback. So he he almost may have cemented, um, you know, more of a future with the Jets. But I've thought about this, too. Like, I think about how bad the Indianapolis Colts were. I think it was Curtis Painter starting much of the year that Peyton Manning was injured. (laughs) The great, the, Colts, Curtis Painter. the great Curtis Painter. Uh, yeah, the Painter years, I call it. Or the Painter <laughs> year, singular. But, but I remember the Colts being about 0-12. And, and I think they right. won maybe a Thursday night game. And, mm-hmm. and I almost think they even won. They came close to winning another game. And I'm like, they're going to blow this uh, mm-hmm. this late with Andrew Luck. Remember, Washington traded up to get RG3. Right. The Rams had held the second pick. But they wanted out because they drafted Sam Bradford mm-hmm. uh, a year or two earlier. So... I just thought you got to be really, really bad to get down there. And Sam Darnold is to me still, still, we can talk about that quarterback class a ton and reassess and what, you know, what Cleveland should have done, what the jets should have done, what ball Buffalo got right with Josh Allen, but Sam Darnold's too good a quarterback to lose every game. He starts. I know he's missed a few starts due to injury this year. Um, but I, you know, he played well enough yesterday on the road in exceptional circumstances that I, you know, maybe I was starting to question, given they've had close calls. They almost beat the Raiders. There's a couple divisional games they were close in in the fourth quarter. You're not seeing the Jets losing by 25 points or 27 points every week. Mm. They're in games, and it just so happened they, they stuck long enough in one, although it's 23-10 going into the fourth quarter, and obviously the Rams had, uh, had it within their control to, to break back and beat them. But you're right. If, if you're a Jets fan and you haven't been to the Super Bowl since Joe Namath in the late <laughs> 60s, you wanted Trevor Lawrence, and now it looks like a lot, a lot more difficult to go and get him. It's a great point you make on Donald because 
Yeah, look at his number. 71% completion rate. 31 uh, passes that was off. Uh, 207 and a touchdown. So, okay, not exactly a lights out, uh, overtly dynamic performance, but nevertheless, a capable, competent performance. And Trevor Lawrence is the exception, as you say. Any team, we've talked about it, whether it's the Giants when they were starting the season as they did. The Jets, of course, in the mix as well. All those teams that have quarterbacks who we're unsure about. Now, Danny Dimes is a few years behind Sam Donald in terms of trajectory and and sussing Mm -hmm. it out. But they seem to be kind of perceived at the same level. They're not absolute busts. But at the same time, they're not they're not sure things. Lawrence is the sure thing out of that draft and the only one. So it's a, it's a huge dilemma they have. It kind of makes sense to me, I think, if they are going to have the one overall pick, to look at re-upping elsewhere in this roster that clearly needs it. And it's a it's a great point you make about Donald. When we aren't quite sure at his level, despite the fact he's got quite a few miles on on the on the clock, because it's such a woefully inadequate team around him that it's it's hard to evaluate any quarterback in that situation you put almost any quarterback in this situation the Jets at the moment they would they would suck so it is a difficult call for uh, the Jets I guess if they if it does play out as it does we've got to look at that running right because the Jets have got Cleveland and New England their final two games of the season the Jags have the Bears and the Colts remember the only win of the season the Jags have was against Indianapolis way back in week one, so we can kind of uh, discount too much from that. It was it well, was and and so I have a great I have a great Bears friend, and I was talking to him yesterday, and uh, you know, saying here they are, the Bears are seven and seven. They've got Jacksonville next week. He's sure they're losing <laughs> to Jacksonville next Sunday. He's sure of it. More as sure, I know. I know we talk about long suffering fan bases, uh, and and you're just waiting for the you know Lions fans feel it, Browns fans until this year feel it, Dolphins fans until this year to some extent feel it. But the the Bears fan is uh, even though they went to the Super Bowl, you know what are we? talking you know close to 15 years ago now with Rex Grossman right they feel if it'll if it can go wrong it will the double doink right like if it can go wrong for the Bears <laughs> right. at a key critical time it will so what about like if Jacksonville steps up and wins that next week against Chicago uh in Florida Jack, you know the Jets are right back in the driver's seat they really the are other, the other thing to throw in the mix as well the, the, the Bengals are technically still in the mix as well right two and ten yeah well two ten and one of course they got the they got the tiger so maybe it's too much reach we're recording this Monday so they're in action t- tonight of course so this might not date particularly well but that that gets intriguing when you have a team that absolutely isn't going to need Trevor Lawrence right uh, on yeah, the basis well Cincinnati that- you're right you Cincinnati looks like they've they've almost cemented the third overall pick mm. okay so yeah you're not going with a quarterback, but we, you know, it, I know we've talked about it a few times in the last few weeks about the teams that passed on a quarterback that still have a, a giant question mark over the whole position. Washington might win the NFC East. Mm. They might, but they've patchworked it with three different quarterbacks at different times this year, obviously with Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, and now Dwayne Haskins starting. Um, and you know, they might be holding on for dear life. They might not win another game quite obviously going into the, uh, going into the postseason and, Dallas has now put themselves in a good position uh, to win their their may, maybe their last two games. They got a big break yesterday. Eagles lost, Giants lost, Washington lost. But I think about where you know should Washington have made a move on a quarterback? Should Detroit uh, in a post Matt Stafford era have drafted Justin Herbert? Um, <laughs> mm. I I would certainly look at that now. Look, you you and I know as uh, long term Dolphins fans that they passed on Matt Ryan back mm. in that one in 15 season to take Jake Long the offensive lineman and that's a great choice like Jake Long was a good player for them for a long time before moving on to the Rams 
But Matt Ryan, you know, think about it. You you would have you would have solidified that quarterback position for the last thirteen seasons with Matt Ryan in Atlanta, who were as desperate for a quarterback as the Dolphins were back then. So passing on that guy and look, Buffalo Buffalo did the same thing. wasn't in a good enough position in the top ten ever really to get a to get an elite quarterback. I, you know, it's asking a lot to say go get a go get a Jim Kelly. It's asking Miami a lot to say go get a Dan Marino. But there have been quarterbacks in the top 10, top 12 that Buffalo have passed on mm. and, and just tried to sort of piecemeal it together. We're going to take a flyer on EJ Manuel. We're going to bring in, you know, um, this veteran. And, and they've had injury problems too. J.P. Lossman didn't work Lossman, out. Trent, yeah. Trent Edwards looked good for a while. And then I, he got concussed in a game. Buffalo, I remember this well, started 4-0 one year. Mm. He got hit in the head in a game against Arizona and was never quite the same quarterback again. So, yeah, it, it's uh, – <laughs> For the Jets and Jags, um, you know, they're going to jockey back and forth these next couple of weeks. Cincinnati sits there and says, we've got Joe Burrow. Uh, he's going he's to recover from his injury. We can just take the best damn player we feel like at number three or trade out. Trade out, yeah, exactly. To go out and, get, to reach out. and, get, that, uh, and get that third best quarterback right. in the draft, whether it's the, the BYU guy or the Ohio State guy. They can take their pick. On the Rams quickly, because common theme on, on the show this season is teams that are very difficult to work out. I think this is one of those years where that's particularly true. We're not in Tampa Bay. We'll take that box. Tampa Bay did that inside one game last night, right? As, uh, mm. And not the first time. But the Rams are maybe the, the most acute example of this. How do you explain this? It wasn't, as you say, a completely woeful performance offensively, but Jared Goff was not in any kind of rhythm at all against a not particularly effective Jets defense, right? Or fearsome Jets defense to be fair. The yes, you're right. You mentioned it because they couldn't get much of a ground game going, which had some impact there. They had opportunities. They had strikes. I was messaging producer Ollie in the third quarter and said that I think the Rams are still going to win this. And it was a close call. So let's not get carried away uh, by this. And equally, I think whilst the Jets have been appallingly bad this season, this patronizing dialogue here sometimes that, oh, the, the college team would beat the Jets. And this is still an NFL team with players like Frank Gore, who was instrumental in the game, absolutely balling and, and giving everything. So let's not get too carried away with the result. But defensively, they weren't really at the races at all. It was both sides of the ball, Greg, that the Rams just didn't really show up. What do you put that down to? One week we think the Rams are serious contenders in the NFC. The next week you think, oh God, if they scrape a wild card, they'll be lucky. Yeah, they've got a ton of quality wins and and uh, and have had the benefit. They look like that by design wild card team at the Seattle. The Seahawks won't come back to earth. And obviously the Seahawks aren't as dominant as a lot of people forecast after the first you know four or five games of the season. But you're right. The, the Rams had just seem to have played down to their competition at times. They right. have... They've got some quality wins on their on their schedule now, and some wins that look better now in retrospect than uh, you know than others. They you know they they beat Seattle uh, handily. They snuck past the Tampa Bay in Tampa. They go to Arizona and be, and put up thirty eight points on what I think is still a pretty good defense. I know the Cardinals have played a lot of run and gun you know last minute type finish games. They were almost in one um, this past Sunday against the Eagles. Uh, with with Jalen Hurts trying to lead them back, had a couple drives to do it, and Arizona shut the door. But you're right; they've been very, very. Um, you know, I, I know the NFL is a very much an up and down league, but but by this point of the year, you tend to get settled in and and get some consistency from mm. certain teams. And that Rams team was, I thought it was the best team not to make the playoffs last year. Right. I thought they were remarkably, uh, you know, consistent the year before. Uh, in terms of games, they've got, they've, you know, they've, they've had the benefit of uh, they played the a- a- NFC East this year as a schedule. 
and they're four and zero against them. So that's the weird thing. If you take those wins away, they're a five and five team. If you take away the NFC East victories, but they swept San Francisco in their own division. We know they're coming into a huge showdown this Sunday, uh, a couple days after Christmas, uh, in Seattle against the Seahawks. That that probably you know determines everything really, um, because they can you know they, they'll have the tiebreak if they beat Seattle because they'll have swept the season series. I know it, it is a very tough team to figure out, and I don't even want to put that label on them. Well, they're the team that you wouldn't want to play in the playoffs because generally you do want to play inconsistent teams going into the postseason who, who can't seem to string it all together for weeks on end. And, yeah. uh, and, and that was sort of like Minnesota last year. You didn't know what kind of Vikings team, right. uh, what kind of team Kirk Cousins, you, you know, you were going to get. And, and he goes and beats New Orleans in a playoff game, which is not what a lot of people predicted. So, yeah, the Rams just, the, the, I, you know, the infrastructure's there. Any team that's got, you know, Sean McVay as a coach, we both like Jared Goff at quarterback, you and me, and obviously Aaron, Aaron Donald, who didn't get a lot of pressure on Sam. Uh, uh, Aaron Donald didn't get a lot of pressure on Sam Darnold that's in the Jets' yeah. victory. He really didn't. Um, so, yeah, it, it just seems that that up-and-down team, they're going to be a playoff team, but are they going to be an easy out? They've got to play better than they did on Sunday. Mm. Well, the Seahawks, I think you could apply that too as well. Let's talk about them and in turn look at the Washington situation. They're still in possession, Washington, of the fourth seed despite their defeat to to the Seahawks, who, it's fair to say, Greg, were not on song by their high standards, although obviously in recent weeks, things have been uh, a little bit tricky for the Seahawks and not as we expected they would be. So this imbalance that we saw at the start of the season, which was all about the defense, the defense, the defense being the weak link, uh, there was the the tangible shift in offensive direction uh, from the last X number of years where they have led with the run, 55, 56%. Uh, uh, leading with the run, letting Russell Wilson air it out, and we saw the results there. But gradually, as the season has gone on, the defense has improved, and particularly the pass rush. And once again, against Washington, it was uh, a solid performance defensively uh, across the board for much of the game. And it was the offense, and particularly particularly the aerial game, that was struggling. This offensive line has been a problem, but they led with the ground game once again. That's the fourth or fifth game in a row now. They've shifted back. They've moved away from letting Russell Wilson or emphasizing him airing it out and they've shifted back to the ground game. And as a result, I feel they've lost their, their identity. They, it, yes, it, the offensive line has been poor and it wasn't exactly strong again or maybe held up better than some people suspected against Washington, but still a concern. They get the win just, but they let Washington back in the game. And this is not a great Washington side, certainly offensively, had the opportunity with Dwayne Haskins in to win the game and have another upset. So things absolutely fractious at the moment for Seattle at completely the wrong time of the season for them to be so. Yeah, and and at ten and four, they they seem like they have a very deceiving record. Obviously, a game ahead of the Rams, they can clinch the division by beating the Rams this coming week. But yeah, if I told you at the start of the game, Russell Wilson would only throw the ball twenty-seven times. Dwayne Haskins would throw it fifty-five times um, for Washington. That's got to be a record for him. Uh, just a couple of years into a, a short career, and he certainly has far from played every game. Yeah, a lot of people would have been surprised by those numbers. But yeah, they they found that consistency, and that just seems to be Chris Carson. They had Carson obviously missing for a few games, missing in action and injured, and in, in, and even when he came back, didn't look like he was the Chris Carson that they'd relied upon. Uh, for big yards and, and to move the chains regularly. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought Miami did kind of the same thing in their game, really a heavy right. reliance on the rush and don't make Tua throw the ball too terribly often against yeah. New England. And Seattle was doing just that. Now, remember, it's 20-3 to three at the end of the third right. quarter. 
So I, I can understand as well the need to sort of, you know, put Russell Wilson back in the pocket, let him hand off more. I don't know what the run pass distribution was from from the point that it was 20 to 3 on, but I'm going to mm-hmm. guess that they ran the ball a lot to, uh, to, to cycle down the clock. They had 27 passing plays uh, and 26 rushing plays all told. So it was pretty balanced. But yeah, they're 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 a team that uh, I think you you look and and Green Bay, uh, who played Saturday, clearly is you know it's it, the destiny is right there for them to be the number one seed. Um, but Seattle looks and and probably says, I think their fans are all saying we're not as good as we thought we were at the start of the year. But they better hope that Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and the players realize that that they can't just show up, put the uniform on. And I'm not I'm not calling out the Seahawks for a lack of effort. But I, I know that some of the things they're attempting to execute um, just are falling through. And I, I'd say this, that they seem to be lately getting every team's best game. That's a good game for Washington to pull, you know, just to have a chance to win it in the last five minutes with a couple, a couple drives for, uh, for Dwayne Haskins. So, mm. look, for a team that started 5-0, and they went 5-0 and in, into the bye week. And again, you know, who were their wins against? Well, you know, New England, we thought that's a good win at the time. We didn't know that the Patriots were an under 500 team. They beat Atlanta. We didn't know Atlanta would be, uh, you know, not even close to a playoff team this year. They start 0-5, while Seattle starts 5-0. and And since then, some of the losses that we've seen and some of the struggles that we've seen, um, losing to the Giants, uh, losing to the Rams. They got blown out. I thought they got blown out by the Buffalo Bills. They gave up mm-hmm. eight, nine sacks in that game to, to Buffalo's defensive line. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of, that, that was when they had no running game at all. And uh, it, it's a tricky one. I, I think Seattle's probably favored against the Rams this week because they're at home. I would pick Seattle to beat the Rams, but that's a very much a toss-up game. And, and both teams, as you note, in, in the NFC West are going to have to get things more consistent if they're going to travel you know, to a Lambeau field or travel anywhere really on the road um, in the playoffs. And the Rams, whoever loses that game, is obviously going to be on the road the entire time in the playoffs. It, it's interesting that the, the line actually held up reasonably well against Washington in the sense that Wilson wasn't sacked. But I think the, the ground stats, well, it depends on your perspective here, right? You'd think that Duke, because of two massive runs, he had the Carlos Hyde 50-yarder. Uh, Wilson had a big one as well, right? Which, which could, you know, pushed uh, them right up. Uh, and on the one hand, you think, well, they're breaking off runs like that against this Washington D. That shows how effective that side of the game is. The flip side of that is when you're looking at the box score, it does uh, maybe give it a slightly false perspective on how effective the ground game was across the course of, of four quarters. Quick line on Dwayne Haskins. I think I know the answer to this, Greg, but mm. you talked earlier on about the problems they've got at quarterback Washington, which no surprise to us, of course, but Alex Smith, much as we love him, has very little realistically left in the tank. Maybe they'll get another season out of him. It's possible, but uh, it's unlikely that there's going to be more than that. Haskins has this opportunity because of Alex Smith's injury to rebound in, in people's perspectives, most importantly in, in Ron Rivera's mindset. But he didn't really ace the audition last night, did he? No, uh, no. So that, that's six starts for him. Uh, rather, five starts for him. Alex Smith said five starts. Kyle Allen said four starts. So 14 games in. Uh, you know, you just don't see a, a a prize pony among all three of them. And I know Kyle Allen came in, played well in terms of relief for Cam Newton last year, uh, and it, and it started looking that way. Um, I think he he had some really really tough matchups. And I remember there were games that it was no one knew really how Alex Smith's body and especially the lower body would react to you know getting his legs crumpled up or getting sacked a few times. We we had those same fears. I know I mentioned Peyton Manning earlier. We had mm. those same feels with Peyton Manning when he came back as a member of the Denver Broncos. What's a right. hit going to be like for a guy that's had 
you know, multiple neck surgeries and, and hasn't taken a hit uh, for a good 14, 15 months. But yeah, I, I think Washington's still very much, if you've got three quarterbacks and they've all started, you know, as many as four games, that means you really don't have one quarterback. And mm. that's a struggle right now, I think, for Washington to look at. And it's hard to, uh, it's hard, again, to criticize the drafting of, uh, of, of Chase Young. That's, a, that's an absolute stud that's going to be there for years and years, you would think. Um, there's, mm. there's a, he's going to make things very miserable for quarterbacks in that particular division. Um, and, and what an unsettled division quarterback-wise. You've got a lot that's up in the air in Philadelphia. Yes, it look like, looks like Jones is the guy in New York. What about what kind of Dak Prescott will we see? Uh, maybe not even at the start of the 2021 season mm. for Dallas. So a lot is up in the air, and, and Washington's really no different. I, uh, it wouldn't shock me to, uh, to see Ron Rivera sort of wipe the page clean and, and try and figure out if he can you know, sort of put a, put a Band-Aid on this and, and grab a guy that's, that's more in his 30s mm. to mid-30s for the last couple of years, somebody that's going to get jettisoned. Mm. I, I don't think you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick makes sense. I don't think there's guys uh, – and Andy Dalton makes sense. Andy Dalton was just brought into Dallas's insurance, and they needed that insurance once mm. the DAC injury happened. So well, Cam's the intriguing one, right? I mean – Yeah, know. he is because there is that relationship mm. with Ron Rivera. But I do wonder if, if Rivera looks at a certain point in time and, and mm. you know, I know you and I watched a good chunk of, of Patriots-Dolphins yesterday talking about it, but it, it just – I don't know what fixes Cam Newton at this point. I don't know – I, I don't know who we'd compare to to say there's an MVP in the 2015 season and flash forward five years and he looks nothing like that guy. Looks but how much like that guy that that year looks like such a mirage to everybody because yeah. you even couldn't see it coming. You knew he was a good quarterback guy that could make pro bowls, maybe win a couple playoff games. But I don't think anyone even forecast him as an MVP after his first few years in the yeah, league. That's fair. State prone. I, I, I wondered though, and I'm not disagreeing with that at all it, it would be hard to justify anything else when you look at Newton's season but I wonder if the the asterisk here is the similar point that we made about Donald right that you look at his cast characters around him and think well very few yeah. quarterbacks would be able to make too much at some word of course but very few would be able to make too much out of this threadbare Patriots offense right and and in struggling by their standards struggling side collectively as well and he's had some big games he had a big game in the air against Seattle uh, earlier on in the season so I don't know if, he, if the tank is completely dry but I take your point it would represent a huge gamble uh, nevertheless let's move on to another quarterback who is trending in the wrong direction you referenced him at the top but we have discussed Carson Wentz's days being numbered in Philly almost certainly with the switch to Jalen Hurts and particularly I think on the back of last night's performance, which could end up being a, a career-defining performance for Hertz in terms of securing the starting job long-term. Because early on, we knew what he could do as a dual-threat quarterback with his legs. But last night against Arizona, he showed us what he could do with his arm. 24 of 44, uh, 338 yards, three touchdowns. He added 63 on the ground as well in a score. Mm -hmm. So four touchdowns combined. It was a brilliant game, a real shootout between two uh, exciting young quarterbacks. But Jalen Hurts... I think with that performance, Greg, has locked in the starting gig going forwards, right? Has he it, it, saved Doug Peterson's job, though? That's a great question. I don't, I don't, I, yeah, Peterson isn't talked about quite in the same conversation, is he, with Doug Marone in Jacksonville or Adam Gase with the Jets? And, and we've obviously seen, we've seen Atlanta replace their coach, Detroit with Dan Quinn, uh, Atlanta and Detroit replacing Matt Patricia. So, yeah, it, it's one of those scenarios where, um, boy, he built up so much currency with that Super Bowl run. How could he not? And, and lost Frank Reich in the process, obviously, to go coach in Indianapolis. But I think the decision will, I think will reflect very well on his decision to move 
move this along to Jalen Hurts and turn this over. I, I, I don't think anyone forecasted because I, I think no matter where Carson Wentz was in terms of struggles coming into this season, um, and, and I think there were still defenders of how he was playing. I think he was a bit of a hard luck quarterback and not and playing, maybe being the best quarterback in a few games, but the Eagles not pulling out the W. But where it's gone for Carson Wentz, probably since, you know, mid-November or so has been has been a place not many at all could have predicted so it's the one thing that is in Peterson's corner is he made this move to Hertz and with the dysfunction of of the NFC East you know you can make the case that it was made uh, a week or two too late if Mm. there's just no way to go back in time and no given the shortness of the training camp no preseason remember how how teams were very much protective of their young quarterbacks. We had Tyrod Taylor starting for the Chargers week mm-hmm. one, Ryan Fitzpatrick starting for the Dolphins in week one. So there were a lot of coaches and a lot of GMs that were really hesitant to put uh, to put their young quarterbacks into the fire early days. But And Hertz's stock was lower as well, of course, than two. Absolutely. Or, right? So they, you know, they're representing more of a gamble, more of a risk. This stat jumped out at me, Greg. The Eagles have reached 400 yards or more in back-to-back games for the first time this season. I mean, that's yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, it is. It is. Like, yeah, I see the four games before that, all losses and all under 20 points as well at Giants, at Browns, home against Seahawks, at Green Bay. They scored 17, 17, 17, and 16. Can't win in the NFL uh, not scoring 20 points. I bet you the margin is really low percentage-wise for teams that happen to win a game uh, that have 20 points or less. And and look at the Eagles. They're 0-6 this year when they score 20 points or less, which means – they're four, three, and one when they score twenty or more points. Last, last, the last game against Arizona, they scored twenty-six. Just happened to be a game. How about this as well? Maybe they're one of the few teams. As I'm reading this now, they're one of the few teams probably that hasn't had a thirty-point game. They've not scored thirty points in a single game this year, which is hard to fathom that anybody in the NFL doesn't do that. That goes zero for fourteen in terms of scoring thirty points. So look, they need um, they need to revolutionize a lot of things and and have a rethink about a ton about what they're doing uh, offensively. Um, you know, defensively, people have, have, I think, been reasonable in terms of fair criticism about Jim Schwartz, the former Detroit Lions head coach. But mm-hmm. I think they're looking at Doug Peterson saying, um, you're calling the plays, you're, you know, we're not scoring points, we're not moving the football. They've been in, in obviously close games with two really good teams lately the last two weeks, but that's been because of the quarterback change. And the larger issue, um, I know we spoke about this on the weekend, but there's just no easy answer for what they do with Carson Wentz. He signed mm-hmm. all the way through the 2024 season. Uh, right. The cap hit is a is a remarkable one, and no team to me is is you know coming forward and and saying that's the guy that changes the you know changes the narrative for us. Right. There's our star quarterback. He's just not playing well enough uh, right now. So if Carson Wentz really wants out, he's almost going to have to negotiate his way out. And either you know uh, write a new deal or or end up you know not taking a lot of this money uh, with him to his next destination. But he's not the start. He's not going to be the starting quarterback anytime in the near future. That is Jalen Hurts. Yeah, it, it appears to be uh, brilliance from Kyler Murray, as I say as well, and uh, D Hop right in the thick of it once again. 167 yards, I think he managed in total. Certainly over 150. Big a uh, big night for him, and with that. Uh, win the Cardinals back in the mix, number seven seed in the playoffs at the time of recording this, eight and six. There's daylight between them and the Bears who've bounced back with their win over the Vikings, which pretty much knocks uh, the latter out of contention. But the Bears, uh, and I think I jinxed this on our radio show, Greg, when I'd said <laughs> something on the lines of, I can't see this 
lackluster Bears offense. I'm not buying Mitch. And of course, uh, they go and do what they go uh, and do. But it's getting really uh, tight and interesting uh, at the bottom for that uh, seventh seed. With the Bucks win, it's pretty much a straight shootout, right, between the Cards and the Bears for that now. Yeah, I can't see another team rising up, winning the two games. I know the Vikings haven't been eliminated, but by for all intents and purposes, they are. Uh, they, the best they can do is 8-8, eight and, eight, and Arizona's already sitting there at 8-6. and six. Uh, Arizona's last two weeks, they've got San Francisco at home, uh, where, which is also the Niners' home. So that's such an intriguing scenario, given the Niners are playing games at Arizona Stadium. So <laughs> they're just going to slide over to the visitors' locker room and play that game on Boxing Day. That's going to be so uh, weird if you, had, if you yeah. did that, right? Just <laughs> going to your <laughs> usual, usual digs, but using the different, different dressing rooms. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's sort of like a Giants-Jets game every four years at the Meadowlands. Uh, someone's got to be the road team uh, once every eight years. Yeah, right. And then they, Arizona goes and plays at the Rams. The Rams could really, really need that game. Um, well, both teams obviously look like wild card teams. So, but yeah, it's I, I don't see a, a way. I don't see a path there for for Chicago unless Arizona loses both games. And as we said, Chicago lines up not bad, getting uh, Jacksonville. And I, I make the intriguing point at Soldier Field the last week of the season that they get a Green Bay team that I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. has clinched first seed overall in the NFC by then. Um, you know, that New Orleans loss was a critical one. So it could send Green Bay, if they if they win next week, um, I think they've wrapped things up. And that means sort of a dead rubber for them in week 17. So why would you send Aaron Rodgers out there right. for more than a quarter uh, to stay fresh? Because you're going to get a week off as well. That's such an intriguing thing about the playoffs now, isn't it? Is only the number one seed gets the bye. That number two seed was so used to getting those two weeks off. And expanding the playoffs means the number two seed doesn't get that week of rest. So you're going to look at that for a Pittsburgh Steelers or New Orleans Saints or or even if Seattle wins out and New Orleans falters uh, at one point over the next two weeks, the number two seed's playing the week after uh, the week after New Year's and jumping right back into the fire uh, against uh, what, what you'd think would be a hungry number seven seed in either conference. Well, let's talk about that Chiefs-Saints game then. Uh, in the end, a narrow win for, for the Chiefs, but I'm not uh, sure that the scoreline necessarily uh, entirely represents what we saw. Certainly the Saints struggled uh, initially offensively. Brees, and you can understand why coming back from that injury, which I think, we, again, we got into this on our radio show, but mm-hmm. it's been understated the severity. 11 fractured ribs is not, it's not a good place to be. And there was talk, of course, maybe they're rushing Brees back too early. They had that number one spot for all the reasons you've just uh, so eloquently outlined, Greg, the importance more than ever this season, the COVID season as well, to, to get that first round by. The, the Saints are obviously gunning for that. And now, uh, they will maybe change lanes, but that's why Breeze came back. They were happy to bring him back. He struggled early on. Then they found their rhythm. The Chiefs were, it was interesting, wasn't it? Not dissimilar to, you mentioned the Dolphins, uh, of course, and the Sea going to the ground yeah. in particular. They racked up 179, uh, which is the most uh, they've uh, put up on the ground since week six. So they changed it up uh, a fair bit, running on oh, just under 50% of its plays, which is uh, not typical, of course, of the Kansas City Chiefs. But again, the uh, thing to note here in particular is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who was instrumental, along with a, a resurgent Lev Bell or a revitalized Lev Bell, maybe more accurately. But Edwards-Hilaire injured now. And th- again, the time of recording this, we're not sure how significant, but it doesn't look great. So I wonder whether they'll have to change lanes again, Kansas City going forwards. But fascinating, uh, fascinating approach to the game. What did you make of the Chiefs remembering the narrative that I'm hearing banded around everywhere at the moment that they're not in fifth gear. They're flattering to deceive. There's something not quite gelling about this uh, demonstrably 
uh, impressive team. What do you make of them up against one of the very best in the NFC? Yeah, I, I, I do think the scoreline flattered New Orleans. Um, I don't. I, I get that that criticism is out there about, about Kansas City, but when you're a 13 and one squad, I, I don't know where the you know I don't know where the flaws are. Now their defense is they're in closer games than they were last year, and they look a little more like that 2018 Kansas City team that had a tough time getting stops. And they had a tough time getting stops against teams at critical times. We remember what that that Chiefs-Rams shootout was like, uh, that phenomenal Monday night game uh, that was, uh, you know, back and forth. And everyone said, that's going to revolutionize football. Games are going to be 52 to 47. (laughs) And, you know, there's still room for defense. (laughs) It didn't. Not yet, anyway, at at the end of the day. Um, We we don't even need punters on the team. Maybe we'll get to that uh, 10 years from now. But yeah, I I think New Orleans is in big trouble. Nat, I think the scoreline flattered them. I think I think Breeze and and the inconsistency. It's not just from the numbers. It's just seeing the uh, it's seeing the zip and the oomph on the football. I, I know he had the really one bad interception, obviously, where he, he sort of threw off his back foot and it just sort of wobbled, and it was an easy pick uh, mm-hmm. for for the Chiefs' cornerback. But I think New Orleans. We were talking earlier in the NFC about teams that you kind of want to see going into the postseason. I think you want to see these New Orleans Saints with a with a banged up Drew Brees. Those ribs, uh, those ribs are not going to get you know de- it, you know determinably better over the next month or so. And if you can put bodies on him, if you can harass him, we know he doesn't have the escapability he once had. Um, you know, it reminds me a little bit, to be perfectly honest. I was thinking this a couple times yesterday of what the great Dan Marino looked like in his last couple of years. That if, right. if, if you pin him back. Uh, man, Marino had that exceptionally quick release, one of the quickest releases mm. ever in the sport, quite obviously. I'm not sure Breeze is there right now with either arm strength or release, so you can make life really difficult. And New Orleans is going to have to lean on the running game, mm. uh, and, and they're going to have to lean a lot on Alvin Kamara going mm. forward, more than they did yesterday. If I'm Arizona and I'm sitting there at a, at a seven seed, if I'm Seattle and Russell Wilson – yeah. You can send me to New Orleans to play the Saints. I'd rather play them than than play Green Bay. I'd rather play uh, – well, obviously, I'd rather play the Saints than I would the Seattle Seahawks if that's um, a determination that an Arizona, uh, you know, gets to have. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I don't think the Saints are, are bound for – I would not rate them as a Super Bowl contender right now just based on the Breeze injury and obviously Thomas. I mean, that's I was a huge, say that, huge I, thing. I, I think, how, how could it not be? All of those reasons that you said, the deep ball isn't there, right? But as the Saints have proved for much of this season, certainly when, when Breeze has, has been starting, that hasn't necessarily affected them. Now, the, the, the book on that, of course, is, well, that's okay in the regular season. That comes out in the wash when you're looking at the serious end of the playoffs, right? It, it, something mm-hmm. as fundamental as not having a deep ball to the degree that they don't, right? It's the same issue, I think, with to a lesser degree with the Colts and, and with Rivers. But without that, inevitably, you are less multidimensional and that can come back to haunt you. But Breeze and Peyton were demonstrating why that doesn't really matter at the moment. But Michael Thomas is integral to that. And I know he's had, by his standards, uh, a very different season. And there have been all kinds of suggestions and that uh, disharmony and everything else off the field but because he's not mobile because he doesn't have that deep ball when Michael Thomas is out of that that offense and they're up against a serious contender you see where and how and why they can struggle and I think that's he's a huge huge loss I guess well, and, and I love him I love Emmanuel Sanders like who like he's, right. had, he's put together a great career been a really important guy wherever he's gone but now, when he when he has to rise up and become the number one, he's coverable, and the Chiefs showed that yesterday. Yeah, I, I targeted five times, caught four balls, but outside of the the one long one was fantastic. Yeah. But outside of that, 
He's a non-factor, and that's going to happen when you take somebody's ace-wide receiver away, and you can focus in, and Emmanuel Sanders is your mm-hmm. best threat. That's the, you know the, that's exactly what teams like the Seahawks, the Rams, the Cardinals—they're going to look for in the postseason with, with no Michael Thomas. Just a quick one on the Saints' defense and connecting that with what we saw with the Chiefs' offense and this narrative, as we discussed, that is doing the rounds. That I'm not entirely buying that. The, the Chiefs, well, I, I can see they're not necessarily always in fifth gear, but that's kind of the problem. So the, the, the Saints defense played well, right? They held them to under 250 passing yards, as we say, although they were uh, clearly looking to establish the run. That was, uh, that was the game plan. Aroma was brilliant on, on comms, wasn't he? Just explaining why they were doing that and why they were trying to suck bait the, bait the Saints uh, to bite on that. The flip side, though, I think is, and you know, as a, as a football fan, as well as being a football fan, Greg, you, you'll get where I'm going with this. It, with the Chiefs, there is that same principle that when you're watching Messi in particular, Ronaldo to a large extent as well, that if they don't do something extraordinary every time they're on the ball, then, then, it, then it's pointed out that it's that, you know, it amplified. And I think the Chiefs are sometimes uh, in the same position here that unless, they, you know, unless there's an 87-yard bomb to Tyreek Hill in the first eight seconds of the game that they're somehow underperforming but we've got to be realistic about what to expect over the course of a you know a 2022 week season I think I think the comparison as you're describing that was very much like the Rams when they were in St. Louis and they were the greatest show on turf it was very similar to watching you'd sit down there it could be a Sunday night game Monday or even a a Sunday one o'clock game and you got Kurt Warner Marshall Falk Torrey Holt uh, Isaac Bruce, mm. uh, Oz Hakim was a, was a, was a, he eventually came to Detroit and I covered him with the Lions. He was the fourth mm. receiver there. He gets to Detroit and people are like, okay, where's that Rams magic? It's, mm-hmm. it, it was all about the collective with the St. Louis Rams. And you would watch that team. And I remember when they won that first Super Bowl, uh, you just thought, well, they're going to win more and more and more. And it's going to keep going. Remember how, what favorites they were against the New England Patriots before the Patriots dynasty even started with, I think, I think they were either the greatest underdog or right behind double digit you know, favorites. Don't they? Yeah. Jets. Yeah. Absolutely. It felt like a 13 and a half, 14 yeah. point spread. Uh, if we looked it up. And so, yeah, that's exactly, I think the expectation now mm. of Kansas city and Patrick Mahomes is look like those Rams did 20 years ago. And it's, it's a big ass to do it week in, week out. It, once people have tape on you, once people know what, you know, what, what your game plan is going to be. And Andy Reid is, of course, you know, Andy Reid is, is a you know, brilliant mind. And, and uh, you know, again, age is just a number with him. People look mm. and say, well, he's one of the older head coaches. He still is constantly learning, constantly getting mm. better, constantly innovating and, and putting uh, with Eric Bieniemy or whoever else, he's putting good offensive minds right beside him. But remember also, um, it's still got to be about the personnel. Andy Reid, the time, the clock ran out for him in Philadelphia because they couldn't win big games. They lost a lot of home playoff games, a lot of NFC title games, uh, be it with Donovan McNabb or eventually with, uh, with Michael Vick. So mm-hmm. I look at, I look at what, what, what's happening in Kansas City, and you're right. We, I think we have this expectation that they're going to dazzle and go, you know, boom, up and down the field, up and down the field, and they stall a little bit sometimes. But still a 13-1 and one team. It's their mm-hmm. title till someone else takes it away. And mm-hmm. look at the teams that were their sort of rivals last year. Um, that we thought, well, it's going to be another Chiefs-Patriots AFC title game. It wasn't. Look at the team they played in the Super Bowl, San Francisco. Ravaged with injuries. Don't have the same, you know, you know, the bloom is off the rose there. Similar to how it was when the Rams made the Super Bowl in the 2018 season. And then look at what happened to the Rams in 2019. Like, mm. there's, there's a bit of a fall. And the Chiefs just haven't suffered that yet. Mm. Well, they are uh, locked in in the number one seed in the AFC. Uh, daylight now between them and 
the Steelers, uh, again, at the time of uh, recording this, the Bills uh, with that win into the number three seat and clinching the AFC East as well for the first time in 25 years, Greg. Uh, the Dolphins, uh, let's talk about them, their win against the Patriots, which officially eliminates the Pats from uh, playoff contention. I think we realistically done that a few weeks ago. Uh, and it was, as we expected, uh, a, a very defensive game uh, when you're looking at uh, Belichick uh, and, and Flores. No surprise there. And the Dolphins in particular, they built around this defense in particular, and they went back to the ground game. They kind of had to, really, because Tua was <laughs> missing virtually every uh, top draw weapon that he's got. But they established the ground game and got the job done. So it wasn't pretty, it wasn't uh, at all uh, lights out, high wire, highfalutin stuff. But uh, I'll tell you what, I picture a guy like Dan Marino watching that game who never had an elite running back and never had a great running game. Mm. There were thousand yard rushers here and there for, for Marino and his time from you know, 83 all the way through 99, I, you know, I, I could list the names off of the running backs that all of a sudden showed promise or had a great week or two. Sammy Smith. Sammy Smith, Mark Higgs, Kareem yeah. Abdul-Jabbar. There's so many of them. <laughs> and, and he's probably watching that game go, yesterday going, yeah, like, like uh, I'll take Selvana, uh, Savion Ahmed. Uh, I'll take Matt Breida. Like, yeah. the, those guys were just carving through the New England defense. They really did batter them. And, and I wasn't thinking at the time. If you'd asked me, time of possession in that game while watching it. I'll be like, oh, Miami's probably got a slight advantage. Mm. No, they crushed them. They almost mm. 38 minutes of possession against New England. Um, and New England just couldn't couldn't establish anything on the ground. And obviously Cam was really inconsistent uh, through the air. But, uh, but yeah, that, that's just how Miami, I think, is going to do it. I, I don't know about them in the playoffs. I really – I'm trying to find an AFC team that I think they could beat, Nat, and I, mm. I, I'm struggling. I really am because I think they're going to obviously get in as potentially a – a five or six seed, uh, you know, maybe the, the, the seven doesn't seem... Um, now that, let's seven. talk about that. That is tight, isn't it? So at the it moment, is. you've got, I mean, how many? One, two, three teams on 10 and four. So the Titans uh, in the fourth seed on 10 and four. The Browns and the Colts both have that record as well. Then the Finns currently sitting in seventh with nine and five. The same record as the Ravens, of course, who blitz the Jags. Uh, so the Ravens back in business, which puts undue pressure on the, the, the Raiders. They're still technically in the mix, but at seven and seven, you think that is probably after they lost to the Chargers, all she wrote for, for Gruden. And that's incredible. And you think the Raiders, we certainly, I think for much of the season, whilst we saw them as a flawed side, felt that they were a playoff team, certainly, and then maybe a dangerous team to meet. Look what they did to the, the Chiefs earlier in the season. So they look like they're out of it. So I think this is a, a shootout between the Finns and the Ravens for the seventh spot. That's what it looks like, yeah, uh, between Miami and Baltimore. And, and mm. conference record, Miami's a slight, slightly ahead right now. But they've got, they've got to go to Vegas. And I think Vegas obviously playing for their life this week. That's, an, that's, a, that's a Boxing Day game on right. the Saturday, not the Sunday. Um, so, yeah, Miami probably ends up getting that third seed. And, and let's be honest, like you're looking at you're, – you're probably looking at crunching in against Buffalo again. And mm-hmm. playing, playing in Buffalo for the Dolphins in January has never gone terribly well in those Kelly Marino years. It didn't go well uh, at least one time after that. I know Miami did beat Buffalo in a playoff game uh, when it would have been uh, Doug Flutie starting for the, for, the, for the Bills. Trace Armstrong coming around the side, sack Doug Flutie as Flutie's trying to tie the game up and send it to overtime. I want to say right. that, that was the 98 season. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't love Miami's chances going up uh, to Orchard Park and winning that game. And if the mm. Steelers at all falter and fall to the three seed, I sure don't like Miami going to Pittsburgh. So I think this is going to be great experience for Brian Flores. I think, obviously, they're doing it you know, without a patchwork quarterbacking situation when they got to the playoffs four years ago. 
it was Matt Moore starting, and Matt mm. Moore had come in and won some games um, when Ryan Tannehill was inconsistent and then eventually injured. Right. Uh, but this is, you know, th- this is the start of something. Like, it's, it doesn't feel like a mirage to make the playoffs like they did in the Chad Pennington year or like they did for a couple of those Jay Fiedler years where, where you knew they might, you know, they won a game um, and beat Indianapolis in overtime, but you knew it wasn't going any further than that. That's what it feels like that Miami will get in, probably get their clocks cleaned on wildcard weekend, I-, I would think. But it's a great experience. And, They'll and take that, players, right? I mean, it's- so many of these players haven't been to the playoffs before. They've got a couple vets from other teams. Mm. Uh, Kyle Van Noyce jumps off the page of me. But, yeah, generally speaking, no. Like, th- th- it's great experience just to get there. And I think Miami will feel that way about it. Definitely. I think if you said to Dolphins, well, the organization, certainly in Dolphins fans at the start of the season, Take a wild card spot in the playoffs, a hundred percent, right? I mean, I, I think I think everybody would would agree that is a, a, a more than successful year on year. And remember, to his health, there. like like we weren't right? sure how he was going to recover. We weren't sure how he was going to read defenses, and and we know in in any kind of conventional year where Tua plays out the season that in college football for Alabama, mm. and and Joe Burrow doesn't rise up and and be, and have one of the great college football seasons of all time at LSU. Two was going first overall. Yeah. He was going first overall to whoever ended up. And remember, that was the, the game plan for the Dolphins almost by design. Mm. It was similar to Jacksonville this year. Depreciate some assets. Play, you know, play this out. Of course, coaches are going to try and win. Players are going to try and win like the Jets have been doing. But the idea was for Miami, uh, don't be too good. And they mm. were too good to finish uh, with the first overall pick. They won five games with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. Right. It, I thought to his performance, I want to watch the tape back again because we were, of course, doing our radio show. So uh, a lot of red zone flying around. So it's always worth deep diving there. But they were on quite a lot, featuring quite a lot. And looking at certainly the key plays, he had that pick, of course, early on, which very characteristic of a rookie yeah. quarterback. But then the JC Jackson blitz that he evaded and, and obviously went in for, uh, for, for the score, I thought was that composure that you're looking for that sometimes we, we, we talk about the, the moxie that certain young quarterbacks have where they just seem fearless. Mahomes had that from day one, it, it, it looked like, and Baker, for all his early flaws, has had that as well. The two seems to have a good combination of, of both, right? He certainly feels like he's got game. He certainly it doesn't feel overawed by the occasion, but at the same time uh, has that composure as well that seems to be getting stronger and stronger week on week. And remember when this call was made, one of the the key pieces of uh, uh, one of the key rationales of why the Dolphins were making the decision at the time when Fitz was winning and the team was winning, why bring Tua in now was I think you made the point on this show, Greg. Well, they need mm-hmm. to look at uh, take a look at what they've got. They're not; it's not a clear cut thing here. They need to see what they've got because if they are, uh, if there are concerns about Tua, either durability concerns, injury concerns, or or or, or uh, you know, as significantly, he's just not the right fit. We need to know this now with this defense that we've built. If he's not the right guy, then this gives us a chance to to re-up again. It looks as though he's done more than enough to secure the gig long-term. I don't think there's any doubt now on Tour is the right guy. No, and, and I think I think you're right. It took some time to do that, and this looked like a bit of a lost season. Remember, they're sitting there at 1-3 uh, October 11th, and they're going to play San Francisco. Um, and I don't remember if, if Jimmy G was healthy for that game, but they were underdogs against the 49ers, whether it was Nick Mullins starting or whether it was Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. So you're sitting at 1-3. and three, You're staring potentially at 1-4. and four. Now, they had, they had two games to come against the Jets on the schedule. Those would be easy wins. They outscored the Jets 44-3 in the two games they played. So – 
the Jets just couldn't move the ball against Miami's defense. But, uh, you know, when we've talked about racking up impressive wins, they started to do that. They go to Arizona and win. They were great. Their defense was amazing against Jared Goff and the Rams mm. uh, after the bye week. That got them rolling over 500. The, their missteps, if anything, um, and, they, and they really played the Chiefs hard, I thought, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. They really gave Kansas City uh, one of the best games that anyone's given Kansas City this year. So, mm. look, it, they could still stumble here. They are not a lock. They go to the Raiders. That's going to be a desperate team. They go to play Buffalo the last week. And I know we talked about it on the radio on Sunday. If Buffalo has nothing to play for, that's great for Miami. But if mm. Buffalo has the second seed to play for, mm. they're going to play everybody in that last game. And then Miami potentially falls to 9-7. and seven. And I think we've said it all year long. Um, there's going to be a 9-7 and seven team. There might even be a 10-6 and six team in the AFC that misses the postseason. Won't be like that in the NFC, but that's, that's the struggle with how good the Browns have been, how good the Colts and Titans have been. It's going, to be, it's going to be a tough thing to get that third spot. And just for clarity, the Ravens, to me, two slam dunk games. They're home against the Giants next Sunday. Mm. They go to Cincinnati without Joe Burrow. I mean, they're mm. going to finish 11-5. and five. So it's, mm. I don't think there's room for error with Miami. And they may very well be, the, again, we talked about the Rams being the best team out of the playoffs last year in the NFL. Mm. Miami could, could go 10-6 and six and easily miss the postseason. That'd be really disappointing for everybody down there and Brian Flores. They want to get there. They don't care about drafts. And remember how they got picks as well from the Houston Texans right. uh, from the, the, the big trade, uh, Laramie Tunsil. So they're in great shape as far as the draft goes, but they want postseason football this year. They might have to win both games to do that. Okay, one more on uh, the AFC, and then we'll we'll wrap things up. Actually, there's a bit of breaking news uh, that uh, has just occurred since we started recording, which we'll get into as well about the Panthers. But just one more on the AFC, and two teams that I want to get your take on, the Titans and the Colts, because the Titans, by virtue of the way that they're winning games with Henry running all over everybody, Tannehill back in the kind of form he was showing for... Uh, the majority of last season, composure, protecting the ball well, ruthlessly efficient, decent with his legs as well. You know, he's a, an, you know, an underestimated quarterback despite mm-hmm. the productivity. But the nature of that offense is to follow our theme through from the Chiefs who are electrifying to watch the Titans because Henry will break off a massive run and stiff arm, strong arm, uh, a, a defender or two while doing it. They've got AJ Brown. They are exciting to watch and they feel like they've got this heavyweight sucker punch that can go toe to toe with everybody. The Colts are built very differently. And I wonder whether we're sleeping on them a little bit as, as deep playoff contenders because of that, because of the nature of the style of their offense it's a very efficient defense. Texas, of course, had another heartbreaking uh, against them for the, the second mm-hmm. time in a month. But nevertheless, the Colts winning again, 10-4. and four. Are we sleeping on them a little bit? Well, I certainly am. Um, but I'm going to continue to, I think, because I don't like them as much as, as the Titans in the AFC South. Mm-hmm. I, I think you, you crystallize why people love where Tennessee's at, uh, love the, the progression of Ryan Tannehill. Think about this. What a consolation prize when Miami drafted Ryan Tannehill eighth overall in a draft that had Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin III. It's weird, right? The one guy's retired and the other guy's right. now career backup. And right. Ryan Tannehill may win more and throw for more touchdowns and throw <laughs> for more court. yards than both of them combined by yeah. the end of his career. Like, yeah. who saw that coming? One of those <laughs> strange ones. Point. Yeah, it really is. Um, let's talk about this breaking news. So, uh, Marty Herney, gone from Carolina, the GM, of course, uh, the team owned by David Tepper, the hedge funder, who's all about 
being a progressive, forward-thinking franchise, and and Herney gets the bullet. Interesting decision. Well, and for the coach who hired, you know, for the GM who hired Matt Rule, who, right. you know, a lot of praise for going and getting Matt Rule, making sure that he didn't go to the New York Giants, making sure that, that he didn't end up going anywhere else. It is a little bit surprising. And, uh, you know, Carolina is going to end up, potentially they've got Washington and New Orleans left on the schedule. We've talked about those mm-hmm. teams circling that, those top three picks earlier on. That would be an ideal spot for Carolina. And, and I think about the teams that need to draft a quarterback in the first round. They're obviously Jacksonville, potentially the Jets, and, and, and the Jets will do that if they end up still with the number one overall pick. But Carolina probably is one of those teams as well. And, and I think New England's the other. Obviously, mm-hmm. since they've had Tom Brady, they haven't drafted a player uh, in the first round. And there's been lots of guys come through the mix uh, for New England as backups, Jimmy G being the most obvious one. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I look at Carolina and I think that's probably where uh, they need to start over somebody to back up Teddy Bridgewater, who mm. I really like, um, but, you know, and, and he's thrown for almost 70% of his passes this year. Uh, he's got a good touchdown to interception ratio. We know he can move the ball on the ground with his feet, but it is, it, it has been a struggle. Um, you would not think, and, and the Christian McCaffrey injury has been devastating having him not very consistent, but we'll wonder about that. Like Christian McCaffrey is only 24 years old now. Yeah. It feels like he's been around a lot longer, yeah. a lot longer in the league. And there's a lot of tread on those tires and Big just time. us, us talking about running backs in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of sell before date. It's, yeah. it's a problem. They've got to have well, a healthy McCaffrey next year. And it's been a bad they season. a lot to do with that team. In that respect, hasn't it? You got Saquon out for the season. Zeke has, who missed his first ever career start yesterday, has uh, been really, really under uh, the the water margin. Uh, and as you say, McCaffrey's missed eleven games this season. The Hardy decision is interesting, I think, because you know he's somebody who's indelibly linked with the franchise, right? And incidentally, he was uh, responsible for uh, Cam Newton, uh, mm-hmm. Luke Keekley, some of the some of the great Panthers of the last 15, 20 years. I wonder if that's what Tepper is looking at here. With Rule, with Joe Brady, with very much, hey, we're a brave new future thinking franchise that he feels we need a fresh perspective. Now, Hardy's almost too indelibly linked with the last 20 odd years and, and wants a breakaway because there's an ESPN piece I'm looking at right now, breaking this story I should as a company man, David Newton, <laughs> uh, the author. Um, has quoted Tepper as saying, this team could easily have another four wins, is one of the quotes. The eight games that we had the ball last to win or tie, seven to win and one to tie. If you win four of those games, you're in a totally different position right now with this young team. That seems to me more of a criticism of the coaching than, than, than the GM. And yet, as David's reporting in this piece, Matt Rule's going to have a say in who Marty Hunter's replacement is. So I wonder if this is the, uh, Herney is the, the sacrificial lamb in this situation and they said, right, we need to do something because the season has been a disappointment. I'm not getting rid of the shiny new head coach and his coordinator. So somebody has got to go. Yeah, it does seem that way. I mean, I'm looking at some of the results uh, as you say that, I mean, they've got a four point loss to the Raiders. I remember that game really well. That was the, that was the debut of, uh, of the Raiders being in Las Vegas, but they played that game in Charlotte and, uh, and the Raiders and John Gruden came away with a victory. Mm-hmm. So they've got a four point loss there. Seven point loss to the Bears. Um, yeah, not not great. A one a one possession loss to the Atlanta Falcons. Um, look, yeah, there's some losses, and, and obviously the last couple of weeks, 28-27 to Minnesota, 32-27 
to Denver. Um, and again, they'll be underdogs their last two weeks in Washington uh, in a critical game for Washington and that right. NFC East and obviously New Orleans the last week. And the Saints almost certainly will need that to improve their playoff standing. So, yeah, it, it's a 4-12 and 12 team, but I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of work there. Mm-hmm. And, and look, they've, they've been snake bit in a lot of ways. Cam's, uh, Cam's inconsistency in his injury. Luke Keekley, the constant concussions mm-hmm. and retiring. He should still be playing. McCaffrey's injury. Um, you know, I, I know that there's Carolina, you know, Carolina Panthers fans that look and say, we've had a lot of individual talent. But, it, it, you know, it, it all hasn't mm. combined. I mean, you know, they've got 2,000-yard receivers this year, Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, young receivers, guys in their prime. Moore right. is not even in his prime yet. What a, what a, what a breakout season he's had. So mm. there's talent there on, on the offensive side of the ball especially. Um, but, yeah, like w- what kind of what changes does a new general manager bring? And mm. that'll always be a great question is how much say should the head coach have in, in who gets drafted? It's, it's, it's mm. often, a, a, you know, a, a real tug of war in, in a lot of – coach GM relationships almost more than any other sport mm. deciding who to bring in and, and what your philosophy is. Well, watch that one, Keeney. And it's a great point you make about Teddy. I wonder if they will look at maybe moving away if they have a top five pick, which is quite conceivable. I wonder if they will take fields or one of the other quarterbacks that are going to go in the first round. It seems in the 2021 draft, Greg, an hour has rattled by always mm-hmm. does in your company at have a good Christmas, man. Enjoy the enjoy the festive season. What are your? Let's end on this because I've always a pop culture fan that you are, of course. And we've often uh, compared notes on that front. What are your favorite Christmas? And I will accept Die Hard as a Christmas movie. So, what's on the Brady? Uh, playlist in terms of Christmas movies. Yeah, Die Hard is is there. I'm not the elf guy. A lot of other people mm, are. I don't. I don't think it. I, you know, in repeat viewings, I think it's okay. But then it's just mm. a lot of it's a lot of Will Ferrell yelling. And, and, you know, Ferrell, don't, oh my I'm God, not Santa! Like I get a lot of that, and and I think I've seen this. I've seen this a bunch of different times. I go old school. I go right mm. back to the Alistair Sim Christmas Carol. I remember Love watching it. that a ton as a kid. Right, that stuff Love holds it. up really well. Big time. It's wonderful. Life's got to be on there as well. Uh, nothing will top, of course, Chevy Chase's uh, Christmas vacation. That is that is a lock. On the elf thing, incidentally, I was reading a, an article the other day. I'm with you as well. I love Farrell, but, but not an elf fan. But uh, John Favreau is the director, right, who is yeah. all kinds of glory right now because of The Mandalorian. And apparently the reason they never made an elf sequel is because Farrell and John Favreau didn't get on. There were there was conflict oh. on the set, That's this article suggested, which, I, which surprised me. I figured they'd get... They got like a house on fire, but maybe I'm just thinking of Favreau and Swingers and with Vince Vaughn and just picturing <laughs> that's what he's like in real life. But I'm a big yeah. fan of that. It, and, and that's, you know, for uh, you and I working together for more than a decade, there hasn't been tension on the set. Not yet. We can, you know, maybe build up to that. In decade two. <laughs> It'll look up. You got you to Google Bill Murray and uh, Richard Dreyfus on the set of What About Bob? Hated each other. No way. Hated did they? Hated each other. Did they? That's yeah, they did. Yeah. I've got to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's an underrated film. We've got to do, you know what? We were working out lots and lots of off-season uh, off-season shows I think on the last show we were doing actually with uh, Tom Deacon and I were uh, coming up with three or four subjects for off-season shows we are definitely doing a movie uh, a movie deep dive in the off-season oh let's I remember seeing What About Bob in the theaters and I was probably like 18 wow. years old yeah. and I, I was with a girlfriend at the time that just I was laughing like there might have been 20 people in the theater mm. 19 people not laughing and me laughing uproariously. <laughs> I couldn't like, honestly, there were so many scenes in there and that's, that's being a, uh, you know, almost supporting Bill Murray in every single thing he's ever done. I'm with you. Um, but, uh, but nonetheless, uh, I, I think I, even, I, I remember walking to the car afterwards thinking this relationship might not go, the, <laughs> might not go the distance and not a lot of, a lot, a lot of relationships do when you're 18 years old, but the lack of laughs at Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss's chemistry 
may have been the deciding factor in that one. Now, I'll, I'll leave her name out of it. It's Christmas time. I don't want to humiliate anybody. You're a gentleman. Hey, well, Bill Murray films alone, we could spend a whole pod on, so I'm up for that. Great uh, work with you, man, as ever. Enjoy the festive season. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Matt. Anytime. Fine work from Greg. He'll be back very soon. You can count on that. I'm loving the idea of a Bill Murray special in the off-season. So let's chalk it up. Producer all, we're building a list of off-season shows. Any suggestions on that front, incidentally, at the NC Show Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're pushing that content all the way through the festive season, so don't you worry. We've got you covered. We've got your back. We've got a preview show dropping later in the week. Edge Rush is back as well. So we will keep you busy over the Christmas period. Appreciate you locking in with us. Enjoy the holidays and we'll check in with you very soon. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.